0: plushcare.com slash weight loss it's august 16th 1841 and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by ariel rebecca and ollie the
1: retrospectors
0: If I told you that an angry drunken mob had once shown up at the White House firing guns and hanging an effigy of the president, you might be forgiven for assuming I was describing an event from the 21st century. But it was actually today in history in 1841 and the crowd's ire was focused on Whig president John Tyler and his veto of a banking bill.
1: Yeah, this is recorded as the most violent incident that's ever happened on the grounds of the White House. And I must say, when you like, it's a sexy cell, but when you dig into it, you're like, hang on, they blew <laughs> horns and they beat drums and they threw rocks at the building. Some of them admittedly did fire guns into the air and there was this kind of burning of an effigy, but it doesn't seem like actually at any point there was any scuffling, even let alone kind of bloodshed.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, Tyler was in the House with his family and there wasn't really such a thing as a secret service or a presidential Mm. bodyguard in those days. I mean, obviously there would have been soldiers posted around the House, but the idea that the President should actually have security actually originated from incidents like this. It must have been very frightening to be Mm. Tyler inside, knowing that the White House could very easily be breached compared to what that would take today.
0: Yes, and we've talked before, haven't we, about how the White House had a kind of open House policy. That was the idea. Like if you'd traipsed across the United States and you were a lady of gentlemen of repute, then you could just go and see the president with your problem. That was the theory. It was supposed to be open. So the idea that then people would turn up brandishing guns and firing them, and not just people but your own people mm. too, was an affront to Tyler because these people were largely Whigs. They were members of his own party who were disappointed with the policy stance he'd taken, on this bill that wanted to revive the Second Bank of the United States, create a nationwide bank which seems fairly inoffensive (laughs) now.
2: Yeah and at the time John Tyler had only been president for a few months and he had become president mm, by accident. He had been William Henry Harrison's running mate in the 1840 election and became vice president when Harrison took office but Harrison fell ill and died just 31 days in. He was the first US president to die in office. The death rocked the nation. There was already an economic turmoil and a major recession and there was the increasingly heated slavery debates. This was a terrible time for The president to die, and it had never happened before. The Constitution wasn't actually clear on what the vice president was supposed to do. It was vague as to whether the vice president was meant to complete the presidential term or just hold the position until another election could be called. Eventually, the Chief Justice, Roger Taney, stated that Tyler should be sworn in as president and serve the rest of the term. Congress approved, but nonetheless, his opponents persisted in referring to him as either the acting president or his accidency.
0: (laughs) Yes, the Constitution stated that, quote, in case of the Removal of the president from office or of his death, resignation or inability to discharge the powers and duties of the said office, the same shall devolve on the vice president. But what it didn't say is, and the vice president would then become president. So this then set a precedent that in the future, uh, the VP
1: becomes the P. Yeah, but to go back to this bank debate. So basically, the Bank of the United States was a thing that had first been proposed by Alexander Hamilton and was established in 1791. And it was basically to serve as a repository for federal funds and to act as the government's fiscal agent.
0: Must have slept through that bit of the musical. Yeah,
1: this (laughs) is the boring second act. Uh, So it was always controversial because of the dominance of the mercantile over the agrarian interests, you know, some people felt that this was kind of the bank having power over the common people, but also it was viewed throughout its history, particularly at the beginning, as an overreach of federal power. And debates over the bank actually contributed to the formation of the first ever political parties in the United States, namely the Federalists who supported the bank and the Democratic-Republicans who opposed it. So all the way through its history, and that included it becoming defunct and then being revived as the second bank and then having its funding withdrawn. Through all of this time, it was this enormously controversial thing. And for Tyler himself, one of the reasons why he was so unpopular in vetoing this bill that had reached his desk was was because he was originally pro-bank and he'd flip-flopped and become anti-bank once he became the president.
2: Yeah, it was essentially a power clash between Henry Clay, who was the leader of the Whigs in Congress and was the founder of the Whig Party. At the time, the US system of government was still quite young and many aspects weren't quite set in stone. We've already talked about the vice president issue. And Clay believed it should be a parliamentary style setup where mm. he would essentially be the prime minister setting the agenda and President Tyler would be more of the figurehead stamping things. Unfortunately for Clay, Tyler was both a believer in presidential supremacy and very trigger happy with his veto power. He saw the National Bank as being unconstitutional. And the whole reason that this had been allowed to happen, you know, how does a guy who doesn't believe in the Whig Party's agenda end up being the Whig Party's president, was because the 1840 presidential campaign had been basically, I think, what the young people now would call just vibes. (laughs) The divisions in the party were so extreme that Harrison and Tyler couldn't even put together a manifesto. They didn't run on a platform. Their platform was that the the then president Martin Van Buren they nicknamed him Van Ruin it was had very Trump aspects to it they organised big boozy processions they put out big catchy slogans best remembered is Tippecanoe and Tyler too this was a campaign song that became a slogan and it referred to Harrison's war hero status as the commander at the battle of Tippecanoe in 1811 and And also
0: Tyler's there hey and for all you racists (laughs) we've got a slave owner too Um, that's really the slogan and that was the issue wasn't it like when it actually became Him leading the whole party, yeah, there were loads of issues that he had very stark views on that didn't necessarily coincide with what everyone else wanted to put their name on. Not least uh, his own cabinet and Supreme Court nominees being rejected because of this tension with Clay. Um, His enthusiastic support for slavery. You know, I mean, that was obviously the big question at the time, but he was completely Mm. unrepentant as a slave trader and was for his entire
1: life.
2: Yeah, they were like, this is why we didn't have this guy talk at all during the campaign.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What Congress did was they tried to bring back this bill with minor modifications, and it came back to the desk of Tyler, and he just vetoed it again. Basically, they couldn't get through him. And this really is the point at which we start to see this great power that the presidency held and continues to hold, not least because it's been expanded over the years through executive orders and so on. But if if the president can stand in the way of any bill making it actually into law then it's an enormous power indeed eventually
0: he got expelled from his own party while in office which is another <laughs> president that he set <laughs> he then founded his own party sometimes called the tyler party for the 1844 election Can't get
2: expelled from that
0: <laughs> <laughs> but kind of recognizing that he wouldn't win again but running on one single policy really, which he wanted to be his legacy, which was the annexation of Texas as a slave state on its own. That he did achieve, and the town of Tyler, Texas, was named in his honor. That's kind of really the biggest thing that he actually managed to change about the country. And indeed, he did lose the next election, and we we do not end up now with the choice between the
1: Democrats, the Republicans, and the Tyler's. (laughs) I mean, one thing that certainly did change after this moment was the security at the White House. Unsurprisingly, these days, if you want to turn up with your burning effigy and your uh, and your pitchforks, you're going to have to make a booking at least. 21 days in advance, and (laughs) (laughs) US citizens have to request access through their Congress members to go to the White House, and international visitors are pretty much screened by their local consulates, so you have to go through a lot of uh, rigmarole before you can get there. And also, if you're planning on bringing your gun along, do bear in mind that the White House actually has on its premises, surface-to-air missile launches. So <laughs> you want to make sure you're pretty well-armed indeed.
2: <laughs> can I tell you my John Tyler fact?
1: Please. Go this on. This is
2: my favourite mind-boggling history Ooh. fact, and I've been waiting for a John Tyler episode so that no. I can bring it out. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yes. this is,
0: I feel the pressure now.
2: John Tyler, keep this in your mind, is a man who was born in 1790.
0: Oh I know he, this fact Yes, of I my don't own know research but it is, Oh it's good. It is really good.
2: He has a living grandson. A man is on the earth right now whose grandfather was born in 1790. No, it's amazing. <laughs> I'll explain how it was possible.
0: Well, we all, we, all get, we all get biology.
2: Yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I I'll explain how it's possible that he was so old. Not that it was possible how he had a grandson. He, John Tyler had 15 children by two wives. The last of those was born when he was 70. Uh, his second to last child, Leon, was born in 1853. And that already seems still way too far. That does yeah. seem like a long time ago. When Leon was in his 70s, his much younger wife gave birth to his sons, Leon Jr. and Harrison. Leon Jr. died in 2020. Age 95, but Harrison is still alive, barring any misfortune b- between the recording and the release of this episode. At the age of 94,
1: wow, that's amazing. That so beats my significantly less mind-boggling history fact that I carry around with me, which is that the points of the pyramids face north, south, east, and west.
0: Don't even—that's not even relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't
2: wait for the pyramids
1: episode. It's going to take us so long to get back there again. <laughs> Tomorrow.
2: The exonerating evidence actually emerged after all the legal avenues for appeal had been exhausted.
1: Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode
0: when you join Club Retrospector. Patreon.com slash retrospectors.